Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, singing with full voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Albany, Tamara, everybody. So looking back through my notes, I, I've preached this, this passage a couple of times, and I have heard it preached a couple of times, and I need to tell you that the, uh, it's all in my notes, uh, that the time that I heard this sermon preached the best, uh, it was done by Dr. Steve Green. He preached it so well that I'm a little bit sorry. I'm a lot sorry that I didn't have him go ahead and do it because in terms of uh, best and then second best, the second best time I've ever heard this preach, it was also Dr. Green. Uh, (laughs) So I was really grateful. And he does some things with this passage that I just don't think I'm capable of doing. One of those things is like a whoop. He he can whoop right in the middle of it, kind of a one-footed, one-hop whoop, and I'm just not agile enough to do that. Um. But I am grateful. One of the reasons that I'm grateful to have this opportunity to pastor here is because um, of all the folks, the voices that have come before me. And and so I I did. I found myself greatly influenced by what I have heard as this passage has been preached and explored before. Now, we will end up at verses 11 through 14 of Revelation chapter 5. This doesn't mean it's going to be a huge, long sermon, but in order to get there, we have to start back at Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, and and here is a word that you're going to hear fairly often. You ready for this? Okay, and all God's people said, yeah, that word amen is going to come up over and over. Now, about this, at our house, we have for several years, uh, we have this little tradition in every Morning. Most of the time, it's just weekday mornings. Um, we have done the Lord's Prayer. We're not that spiritual. We just have, you know, the pastor believes that it's a good thing to pray the prayers, maybe even the ones that you don't necessarily understand because eventually they get you, that kind of a thing. And so we've been singing, we've been singing, we've been praying that prayer for a long time. And at one point, it was with Taylor and Drew and Kelly. And then after that, it was with Drew and Kelly. And now it's just with Kelly, but it's still, it's a great time. I'm trying to think back to the time when we first started saying, you know, at the end of the prayer that we'll do later, it goes something like this, right? Um, how does the end of the prayer go? For, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And we just kind of go on to the amen. But at our house, we've decided to add back in, and all God's people said. And I think it's normally with a little silly 
hick accent to. I'm not even sure why. We just have done that. And maybe as I look back, maybe I was smart enough. I was not. But maybe I was smart enough to recognize the power of the word amen. Listen, I, I think there are a lot of words that are kind of dangerous um, out there that you probably should think twice about, words and phrases that we should probably think twice about before just sort of mindlessly and blindly uttering them. Amen is one of those. There you go. Amen is one of those because, and, and I'm not going to walk us through all of the, the history of this word. Let, let me tell you, though, that it, it appears in your uh, Hebrew scriptures. It is then appropriated then in your Greek scriptures, and we have been using it then for a couple of thousand, for thousands of years. We've been using it, and it's really meant the same thing over the years. It kind of means, let it be so. And if you're saying it, it essentially means, let it be so in and through me. It is essentially you saying yes to what has been said to you. And it has been, this, the saying of the word amen itself has been something of a journey throughout Christian history. Historian and uh, theologian Jerome in the 4th century said that when his church said it, they said it so loud and all at once that it sounded like a clap of thunder. What must that be like? I'm <laughs> just kidding. I'm just playing. My wife is, is telling me, do not fish for amens. It's unbecoming. Okay, so I will not do that. <laughs> we can edit all of that out. But there came a time when the, the, the church recognized that this was such a dangerous thing that the clergy thought it was the right thing to take it away from the people. They would say, no longer should the people say it, only the really serious clergy should say it. <laughs> As you might expect then during the Reformation, a guy like Luther said, well, that's nonsense. In fact, Luther went as far as to say, if you aren't saying amen, then why would God even listen to you as you pray? If you don't say amen, then you don't expect that God would have the capacity or the willingness to answer your prayer. It's interesting. So, so hear me. Everybody is invited to the amen party. But do know that it's a mouthful. Everybody's invited. We'll say this later in the service. But none are compelled. I, I, I want you to have the capacity for a full-throated, full-bodied amen. But... I also want you to have the capacity for a full-throated and full-bodied amen. Make some sense? Because it matters, it matters what it is that you're agreeing to as you say amen. Matter of fact, uh, I would say that we get a good idea of what's going on with this word amen when it actually refers to Jesus. I don't know if you caught this, but in the letter to the church in Laodicea that we sort of rushed through last week a little bit, it actually says this. Jesus says, now write this to the angel of the church in Laodicea. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation. Wow. In other words, Jesus is God's Amen. And given what we have already said about the word amen, and let me, I'm going to oversimplify it a little bit today. Understand the word amen for us today to mean yes. 
But yes, in a way that means not only do I agree, I am going to jump in and participate. Consolation. So if that's what it means for us, I think we can also say that this is what it means for God. Jesus is God's yes to us. Just sit with that for a minute. This is the church that says to you each and every week, God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. God's mind about you is made up and that news is always yes. Yes to you. Yes for you. Yes alongside of you. And Jesus is the greatest, best representation of God's yes to you. Ready for something here? Watch this. God says yes to us. God is always in the process of saying yes to us. Jesus is God's amen. And like I said, that matters when you're having a discussion of consolation. Consolation, I'll remind us, consolation is what we mean when we are talking about our capacity as believers to find where it is that God's presence is actively working in the world and then to go join it and participate in it. That is consolation. We we have said this too. That is a way to live with open hands because with open hands, not only do you receive the yes of God, but you don't grip it and keep it for yourself. You also then become a communicator of this yes of God to the people around us. That's a big deal. What we do in this sanctuary is important. Sometimes, I know it's going to be very hard to believe, but there are times when people come to Sunday school and then leave. That's wild to me. (laughs) Because what we do in this room is super important. But what we do in this room fuels and funds all the things that we do outside of this room. What we do in this room is try to learn more and more and more about the amen of God we understand to be Jesus. What we, what we learn in this room in various and sundry ways, we sing it, we'll pray it later, we eat and drink it. What we do in this room is we try to explore the nature of the yes that God says to us, the nature of this Jesus as the embodiment of God's yes. What we do in this room, worship, is supposed to be an extension of what happens in all of creation. Now, I said this to you last week, the book of Revelation is apocalyptic literature. I, I also said to you last week that apocalyptic literature happens when the curtain is pulled back and you're given the capacity to look just beyond what your eyes see to behold what it is that God's actually doing out there. And at the end of this letter, the end of the seventh letter to the church in Laodicea, John, the author, is taken to see this giant worship service, let's say, that happens. It looks like this. After this I looked, and there in heaven a door stood open, and the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. It goes on to say, at once I was in the Spirit, and there in heaven stood a throne with one seated on a throne. Remember, 
everything is pulled back. All of the, the first reality, <laughs> the first reality curtain is pulled back to, receive, to reveal the ultimate reality. And now John is seeing God as sovereign, God as God on the throne, ruling. Verse 3, and the one seated there looks like Jasper and Carnelian. All around the throne is a rainbow. That's important. That looks like an emerald. And around the throne are 24 thrones. That's also important. And seated on the thrones are 24 elders dressed in white robes with golden crowns on their heads. Consolation, we have said, is us figuring out a way to join with God in what it is that God is doing. Good news, God is doing now what God has always done. God is not now doing something completely different from what it is that God has always done. As it turns out, God has always been extending God's self in grace and love. John, have you not read the book of Leviticus? (laughs) Have you not seen those ugly parts of the book of Joshua? Yes. Oh, man. And I would like to vote them out too sometimes, right? But they're there, and we have to reckon with them. But I would tell you, that even though those passages are there, there is a narrative arc. There is a through line, let's say. There is a through line that points all the way from creation all the way to and then through Christ all the way to Oklahoma, city of all places in 2022. And I'm trying to say this to you. We search the scriptures to determine what it is that God is doing not just thousands of years ago, but also right now, because what God is doing now is what God has always done. Take the rainbow, for example. You remember where we get this image, right? Book of Genesis. God has grown impatient with all of creation. There's a flood, wipes it all out. It's one of those passages that kind of gives me a queasy feeling in the pit of my stomach. Wipes it all out. But then God says, see this rainbow? Understand it as a bow, as in bow and arrow. I am going to place this bow, as in bow and arrow, string side down all the way to the ground to represent for you that I will not be this way toward my people. God says, I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to make war with my people ever again. Now, there are some people who like to say, yeah, that just means that God won't do it with a flood. Next time, probably fire or bullets or something like that. That is not what this means. Here's what this means. Bow, string on the ground, God says. I will not be God in this way. I will not make war with my people. I will not perpetrate war on my people. That's where you start to divine the narrative arc. The 12 tribes try and fail and try and fail to put some skin and flesh on the nature of God, the character of God. That's 12 of those 24 we're talking about, 12 tribes, right? It's not coincidental that you would have 12 disciples slash apostles. Remember, they do replace Judas who died. Scripture tends to think that this is the way that Revelation 4 is saying, yeah, this is a long story arc 
representative of the 12 tribes and all that God was trying to do through the 12 tribes, but representative also of these 12 disciples and all that God's still trying to do through disciples. But there is a continuity here. What God is doing, what we want to try to join with today is the same thing that God's been doing from the beginning, and that is loving creation to a better place. God has always been trying to love creation to a better place. Listen, chapter 4 goes on and on and on to show us the grandeur of this giant worship, this giant worship scene, this giant worship situation. It's as if chapter 4 is saying, this is our God. I mean, look at this, verse 5. We even sang some of this today. Coming from the throne are flashes of lightning rumblings and peals of thunder and in front of the throne burn seven flaming torches which are the seven spirits of God and in front of the throne there's something like a sea of glass scary waters to the ancients but this God is just big and strong enough to absolutely tame the water it's like crystal around the throne and on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind the first living creature was like a lion the second like an ox the third with a face like a human face and the fourth living creature like a flying eagle There is some discussion as to what this all means. I think, one guy I read says, these are Babylonians, sort of like zodiac symbols, demonstrating that our God conquers all of that. The better interpretation I saw was this. This is a representation of all of the the creaturely forms of life throughout all of creation. In other words, All of creaturely life there and present by the throne represent that all of creation recognizes and worships God as God. All of it. Let me say it like this. All of creation worships God as God. You like that? So if chapter 4 establishes that our God is God, chapter 5 establishes how our God is will go about being God. Now, fair warning. This will be a dramatic disappointment to some people. How our God chooses to go about being God, how our God chooses to go about being sovereign, how our God chooses to go about power, how our God chooses to go about leadership, I asked my Sunday school class today, have you ever read a book about leadership? All the hands. Yeah. Lots of opinions out there about leadership, right? This is God's opinion about leadership. (laughs) How is it that God will go about being God? I just want to warn you, this may be something of a disappointment for those of you who really want your God to be the biggest bully on the block. Chapter 5, John looks up and he sees in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll written on the inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? Now, what do we have here in this scroll? What do we have? Again, there are at best, some educated guesses, but I think some of these guesses are pretty educated and pretty good. You're up here in the throne room, seeing God and all of God's sovereignty and power and majesty and splendor. You were there because you've been called to be there. You were there because Christ has already communicated. There is a competing power out there, and sometimes our churches are giving in to the competing power 
There is suffering out there. There is hardship out there. There is persecution out there. Stands to reason that this scroll would be, okay, what all is happening next? Where do we go from here? But no one could open the scroll. It's interesting, this word here, no one is worthy to open the scrolls. It seems as though the prophets didn't quite live up to the standard. It seems as though the heads, let's say, of each of these 12 tribes seems like they didn't quite, quite live up to the standard. So who is worthy to open the scrolls? Not seeing anyone worthy to open the scrolls, John begins to cry. In fact, it says here he begins to weep bitterly because he, like me, wants to know what's going to happen next. How do we get from here to there, God? If this is you, God, then how are you going to go about being God? Verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, don't cry. Don't cry. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll with its seven seals because, you guys, lions are strong. (laughs) Scary. I mean, have you ever seen Aslan? (laughs) Lions are big and strong and scary. It makes perfect sense. It would have made perfect sense to them as often as they had prayed the prayers and sung the songs in anticipation for the Messiah that would come in and fix everything. It made perfect sense to them. Those people who, not at all like us, right, had an appetite for their leaders to be stronger than their enemies. We had this appetite that said that leadership should be demonstrated in power. You know, power. Power. It made perfect sense to the listeners that their mascot for the Messiah would be strong enough to rip open the scroll, perhaps with those jaws. After all, a lion is, and we all know this, the king of beasts. Don't weep, John. Don't weep. I know somebody strong enough, the one we've been waiting on, waiting for, our champion, the one that, you know what, I bet, I bet the emperor is going to be afraid of our champion. I hope the emperor is afraid of our champion. <laughs> Our champion's going to come stomping down this way. They all get out of the way, because wouldn't you? A lion that big and that dangerous, wouldn't you kind of get out of the way, just, just in case? And so they get out of the way. And then verse 6 happens. Then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered. And this word lamb actually is not even the same word that is used in the Gospels, behold the lamb of God. This is a different word translated as lamb. No pun intended for my friends from the lamb family over here. This word meant little or tiny lamb. Standing as if it had been slaughtered. Seven horns, symbolic of strength, meaning this is real strength. 
and seven eyes. All truth and all insight belong to this one, which are the 11 spirits of God sent out into all the earth. How many of us, don't raise your hand and don't point, but I wonder how many people, maybe even in this room, maybe within the sound of my voice, still ache for a lion and are kind of disappointed when they get the lamb. I mean, I don't have these pictures for you today because I've shown them to you enough over the years. But we're all aware of burly Jesus who breaks the cross, right? You've seen that one? You can probably get that in a frame somewhere. Please don't. (laughs) I mean, how many of us want Jesus to be the fearsome lion? Book of Revelation mocks us for wanting our Savior to be the fearsome lion. Mocks us. In Revelation chapter 5, because the book of Revelation knows how creation is wired. The book of Revelation has beheld the sovereignty of God. The book of Revelation is now correcting our views of messiahship, leadership, power, authority. Verse 7. This creature went and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, so all of creation created order, and the 24 elders, so everybody involved in the continuity of the story, uh, fell before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sing a new song. You always having been slaughtered, little lamb. You, as the representation of who God is. You, lamb, as a representation of how God does. You are the one that's worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed for God, saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. Verse 10, watch for how you're involved here. And you have made them slash us to be a kingdom and priests serving our God, and they will reign, it's an interesting word there, and they will reign on earth. But they will reign in very odd, strange ways. Because if you use the word reign, has sort of a royal sort of ring to it, doesn't it? And as soon as it has a royal ring to it, we will think of words like king and queen. And as soon as we think of words like king and queen, we have a specific way that we anticipate that kings and queens would go about their royalty and their reigning. And perhaps in most of our minds and imaginations, especially when we go to work, y'all, tragically also sometimes when we go home, We still opt for the lion as opposed to the always having been slaughtered little lamb when it comes to a definition of leadership. The most dangerous thing you could think right now, much less say, is, yeah, but in my world, which is the real world, friends, if you think your world is realer (laughs) than what we see depicted here in Revelation chapter 5, 
Boy, it's going to be harsh. You ready? You become parts of the problem. We are a resurrection community. That is a mouthful. That we are a resurrection community. We probably ought to always be careful to say, as we say we're a resurrection community, we probably also ought to say, and our way of going about being the people of God absolutely mirrors the way that God goes about being God, and that is not as the lion. It says the opposite. The always being slaughtered little lamb. Now our text for today, verse 11. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands singing with full voice. In other words, all of creation gets this. All of creation gets this. They acknowledge this. All of creation recognizes that this is the way that God goes about being God. This is not only who God is. This is how God does. Let me say it like this. Jesus is how God goes about being God. And they are singing with full voice, worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. There are no other words. That's all the words, seven words. This is how life works, how it's intended to work. Verse 13, then I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever And the four living creatures said, yes. Yes. Now, I I, I would say this to us as we come to a close. This amen, this yes here is said in response to the yes of God we see in Christ. In response to the lamb slaughtered. God's yes starts with God. Our yeses are always in response to God. Consolation then is a lived out, embodied right here and now, amen or yes. It will always be the case that God shows up first, still saying and singing the eternal yes to anyone who will listen. And then we join in that same chorus. This is what makes us, this is, this is, these are our marching orders as a resurrection community. Then we show up, join in the chorus, amplifying and initiating and demonstrating God's never-ending yes to us. So you've got to be careful with that Amen. You see why it's a dangerous word? If you are amening today's sermon, you are amening in opposition to the lion and in support of the lamb. And we anticipate that if you say it, it won't just be your voice that does it. Eugene Peterson says it like this. Amen means yes. Dr. Tashin helped me with this, found this for me. It is the worshiping affirmation 
to the God who affirms us. God says yes to us. We respond to his yes by saying yes. We listen to the voice of being. And then we become answers to it. In the other passages, I had it at my fingertips this week. God says yes to Saul. Saul becomes Paul as Paul says yes. And life is different because of it. In John chapter 21, Simon Peter, who three times denied Jesus when Jesus needed him the most. Post-resurrection, Jesus shows up with food, with breakfast, and that invitation to Peter to come and have breakfast was understood as a yes from Jesus to Peter. And Peter understood because Jesus kept pressing him, pressing him, hey, I love you. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Because if you do, if you're going to say yes to me, that yes needs to be more than just your yes with your mouth. It needs to be yes with your body. Feed my sheep, take care of my sheep, feed my lambs. These were people claimed and then reclaimed for kingdom and mission. Saul would become Paul. Saul was interrupted, intercepted, transformed and renamed while on the road to Damascus. Simon Peter was reclaimed, his past sins forgiven and forgotten, reclaimed by grace and moved from a warrior with a knife to an ambassador with a testimony. If you will drink deeply enough of God's yes for you, you will say yes back to God. As our people are coming to help us with the table, I want to say that again, because I would imagine that there are perhaps people in the room who have not yet said a deep enough yes. But if you will drink deeply enough and eat often enough of the yes of God for you, eventually, eventually, it's kind of like praying the Lord's Prayer until it gets you, eventually, you will have the capacity to live out this particular yes. Like my friend Tyler Stark. I'm going to pick on you, Tyler, sorry. Tomorrow night, y'all, big night over at Bethany First. Hopefully you can make it. I think it's at 6.30. What time is it? It's at 6.30. Good, because I'm supposed to be there. (laughs) Tyler will be ordained as an elder in the Church of the Nazarene tomorrow night. Very good. Let me, let me remind all of us what ordination is. Ordination is Tyler's yes to God's yes. Right? But Tyler and John and Jason and, and Tamara and all the rest of the pastors around here, we're not the only ones that say that deep yes. Because we're not the only ones who receive the deep yes. One more time. If you will drink deeply enough and eat often enough the bread and the cup tangible representations of the yes of God, eventually it gets you and you will find yourself with the capacity not just to say, but to live out your yes. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. Little bit of bread, little bit from this cup, but somehow, In your hands, they become something more. God, bless these elements. 
and with them, God. Make us more aware of the yes that is always coming from you. And grant us more and more capacity to say with our entire lives, with our bodies, and with our mouths, this yes back to you. May we be an embodied amen more and more and more as we gather around this table. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. To exit your pew to the left and to come forward with your hands cupped, the posture of consolation to receive a piece of bread. As you approach the person holding the plate of bread, a piece will be placed in your hands and this is what will be said to you. This is the body of Christ broken for you. Take that piece of bread, dip it into the cup. When you dip it into that cup, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. Remember, if you will drink deeply enough and eat often enough of the yes of God, it will expand your capacity for yes. So after you have eaten, after you have dipped the bread in the cup, find a place to pray. Now, you may want to come to one of these side padded altars. If you do, we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing and somebody will meet you there for that prayer for healing. It can be physical, mental, emotional. Don't know what it is, but if you want a prayer for healing, please come and someone will pray that prayer for you. There's also a bowl of water here and I want to invite you again as I will every week to come if you would like to and just dip your fingers in this water, you who are amongst the baptized and remember, may the chill of the water cause you to remember that you are included. You are needed in this movement to put some skin and flesh on the yes of God. Now, you may not yet feel comfortable to come forward and it's perfectly fine. In the aisles, as you will be dismissed by row, these same people will have some prepackaged elements. I will have already walked us through the ritual as soon as you get these elements. If you want to just kind of take it and eat right there, that's perfectly fine. Just go ahead and take it and eat as soon as you get it. Who is invited to this table? Well, all of us are invited to the table. All of us who recognize our need for grace are invited to this table, but none are compelled. If you need to sit this out, sit it out. But you're all invited. Lastly, Maybe you want to come and find a place to pray at one of these kneeling benches, mourners' benches. Maybe you recognize that you need to say a deeper yes. Those prayers are always welcomed here at these altars. We may not know exactly why you're praying, but at some point, it'll probably be me. I'll come by to touch you on the back, the head, the neck, the shoulder, to let you know that you're not alone as you pray that prayer. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. The yes of God. And every time you eat of it, remember me. In the same way he took the cup and he held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. And every time you drink it, remember me. And now across the sanctuary, if you would, Stand to your feet, come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God.
pray a brief prayer of confession before turning it over to Jason for prayers of intercession and consolation. Heavenly Father, it does seem like at times as we read these passages of Scripture that the folks in chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation may may know something that we don't. Would you help us to know what it is that they know? We confess in these moments, God, that there are times when we are intimidated by the alternative voices, intoxicated by the other temptations around us. It doesn't seem like it's too hard to knock us off of this mindset best embodied by the always being slaughtered little lamb. I invite you to pray your own prayer of confession today. Confess how it is that you wander from this understanding of how life works, how the Messiah works, how the people of God could work. prayer. May the Almighty God have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Spirit, keep us in eternal life. If you would join me in these moments in a prayer of consolation during the season of Easter, we're going to be taking about a minute during each prayer between our prayer of confession and our prayer of intercession. And I want to invite you, whether you're with us this morning in the sanctuary or you're watching at home, to go ahead and take a seat and just place your feet flat on the ground and open up your palms in that posture of consolation. And just for the next 20 or 30 seconds, Pastor John's been talking about imagination. Part of the prayer of consolation is an imagination. And in these moments, with your feet flat on the ground and your palms up, Receive God's yes and amen and affirmation over your life. And would you just hear, as perhaps you say in your own mind, amen, the amen that God has for you today. And as Pastor John said, as Jeffrey plays, drink deeply of the yes and of the amen that God speaks over your life now. probably know the second half of this prayer of consolation. It's your yes and your amen back unto God. So continue if you would like to say the words amen or yes, but bring this imagination to this moment of prayer of what your yes can look like in response back to God.
And you can continue whatever posture is most comfortable for you at this time. Thank you for participating in that prayer with me. And we look forward to a few more weeks of about a minute of consolation prayer in response to the time that God has for us. And God, we ask that you would come alongside of some specific people who need a healing touch from you. And God, we ask specifically as people have gathered around and placed hands on Diane Dawkins now, that God, you would heal her and give her strength and the strong sense of your amen and your yes and your presence with her. And so God, we ask that you'd be with her in the days as her surgery's upcoming on May 12th. From this day until that and beyond, may your healing presence be so close to her. And God, we ask you'd be with Brett and the boys and all who love Diane. God, we ask that you'd come alongside of Scott Peterson who faces a surgery as well in regards to his cancer coming up on May 10th. God, would you be with Scott and Katie and their family as they love Scott? And God, we ask, just like with Diane, for the whole and full healing of Scott Peterson. God, we ask that you would take care of Lynn Lucas, who's been able to be home from the hospital this week. We ask, God, that you'd continue to heal and come alongside of Karen Martin. God, we ask you to be with my friend Matthew Larson. God, we ask you to be with Glenn and Betty Fain. God, we ask you to be with all who have been brokenhearted, all who are lost, lonely, incarcerated. I have a heart for my friends recently. I've got two or three different friends who both have had to say goodbye to a beloved pet in recent days. And Pastor Zach, whose little pup had surgery this week too, Marvin. All of you who love and have been loved by these pets, God, we ask that you would come alongside of those whose hearts are broken. God, we ask for those issues that may seem small like that, but big in our lives, from huge areas like God for war. And God, we ask and pray for peace. And God, we pray for the people of Ukraine, including Nazarene missionaries connected to OKC First and our friends Rhonda and Carl Windrell. God, we ask um, as we pray for peace around the world, we ask God for pray for peace here in our church, the congregations that make up OKC First Church in our city and this nation. God, would you give us the imagination to live into and believe this prayer, the prayer you taught your disciples to pray, the prayer that is prayed on the way to school in my family, and the prayer at the breakfast table with Pastor John. But God, may this prayer capture our imagination that we may live into this prayer. It'll be on the screens in front of you as well. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.